This audio file is a production of Chiasmos, the University of Chicago's international and area studies multimedia outreach source. For related audio and video, or for more information about the project, please visit chiasmos.uchicago.edu or internationalstudies.uchicago.edu. Thank you very much. Thank you for the all the sponsors that, as already mentioned, so I won't repeat them. But especially um, Tomomi San, Tomomi Yamaguchi, and Lauren, Sethni, and uh, Anoma Field. You have. <laughs> You'll be the star of the this video. <laughs> so um, where I come from? The brown bag means people bring a brown bag of food. I guess that's a different in a kind of a University of Chicago culture. <laughs> There's such a nice food here. <laughs> but where I come from is different. Anyway, and so, so I, I, as, in, as introduced, I do, um, I do different kind of um, activist work. And when I say activist, I used to be more active, but um, much of that has really become like really writing and producing materials, producing kind of analysis that the activists can actually grab and use so that also creating the articles and materials people can use to educate other people so that's that's sort of become a um, bigger part of the the my activism rather than you know in the past i was in lesbian ventures and going in and doing all kinds of crazy things to scare the straight people <laughs> but i don't have energy for that <laughs> anymore <laughs> So intersex. How many were were in the first class that I went to speak at where I spoke talk about intersex? Okay, good, good, because we have new people who are not there. <laughs> how many of you sort of know what intersex is? And okay, how many of you just has no clue? Oh, one person there. So. <laughs> how many of you f how many of you feel that uh, you know intersex so much that you can just give this give this presentation instead of me? Okay, good, because I don't want that. <laughs> okay, so um, intersex, um, can somebody give me the, what the intersex is? Quick. Which slant of definition are you going for? <laughs> yeah. I think technically intersex means you have an actual biological, um, there's a biological difference that you're not necessarily strictly genetically male or genetically female, so it could be either uh, so chromosomal or it could be genital or it could be uh, right. hormonal or various other things. So. Right. Thank you. Thank you. That's, that's <laughs> a really comprehensive kind of medical definition for intersex. Um, technical things that they put is that it's congenital and it's, it's anomalies of reproductive organs and reproductive system. Reproductive organs could be internal reproductive organs and uterus or the gonads, gonads being the testes, ovaries. It could be external reproductive organs and sexual organs that and that people have um, sexual pleasure from or through the reproduction happen. Or it could be the chromosomal issue that sometimes the chromosomes are different. Now people often feel like, oh, intersex means that they're not like XX or XY, but, and there are cases like that, but often it's just, it's not <laughs> genetic in any way. Or chromosomal in any way, people have XX or XY chromosome, but still their bodies develop differently, and 
because of so many different things that, that you know the actual the sex differentiation is really complicated and that it requires many of the relay of different enzymes and different genetic um, genetic information and different enzymes and different hormonal system that's functioning together to create a ch to make the child into a male a child into a female so that biologically speaking and um, we have the people who are not um, who develop in a ways that are not considered to be st standard male or female, and that's intersex. But sometimes that that line is fuzzy because we're talking about, you know, some, for example, they consider somebody born with a small penis for a boy, or the large clitoris for a girl to be abnormal, and that at, the, at some point that it becomes an intersex condition. So how large does the clitoris have to be before it's intersex? Can somebody give me a, <laughs> what, what would you say? How large does the clitoris have to be before it's, you know, when it becomes abnormal? Well, the, the one time they, they had a theory that if it's larger than two standard deviations from the mean, <laughs> it's too large. Now, but then, like, you know, that seems a clear cut, yes. But then if you ask them, why is it two standard deviation and not three standard deviation? Or two, two and a half standard deviation? It's, again, it's arbitrary. The people are deciding it. That nature, the people's bodies generally doesn't tell like if it's abnormal or not. It doesn't scream out. It's, uh, <laughs> it's uh, the interpretation we make about the human bodies that make it fall outside of the, what, the standard of what we think is male and female. Sometimes people call intersex as ambiguous genitalia, which is, ambiguous term itself because it's it's obviously it's genitalia it's not that's not ambiguous it's a genital <laughs> okay what's ambiguous really is the society's definition of male and female like we think that there is a definition but then when you actually hear it like two standard deviations that surprises you that's like why is it it's, it just seems ridiculous to define it you know the even though the standard is really clear-cut that how they came to that that standard seems ambiguous. So so sometimes it's, it's like so, as simple as that. Sometimes it's much more complicated that people have, for example, complete, um, complete, um, completely male, gen male sex chromosomes and yet having a female appearance because of the hormonal system and because of the, some of the receptor for the testosterone that's not functioning in a way because there's an enzyme lacking. And the, there are so many different conditions, I can't really express all of them, but, but the, we're talking about some of the physical conditions people are born with. And people often confuse intersex with transgender and transsexual, and I don't know if that's happening here, but, but um, the confusion is, you know, obviously people, people can't really tell the difference. But it, it should be really clear because the transgender and transsexual is about how somebody identifies and how somebody expresses themselves in a way that in, in relation to the, how society sees as like a proper male and female behaviors and clothing and, and appearance and etc. So it's about the person, how the person feeling feels or identifies themselves and how, ex how they express themselves rather than the body that they are born with. So, that's the difference. Uh, again, again, some people also confuse intersex with hermaphrodite a lot. Hermaphrodite is a mythical, um, it comes from the myth of hermaphrodite. It, it's, a, it's a mythical being that, that, uh, that is both male and female at the same time. 
intersex is often seen as a both male and female, but it's not. It's usually um, not completely male, not completely female, and but not both at the same time. Now, male hermaphrodite in the biological sense suggests that it's fun it can function as both male and female in a reproductive way, so that snails are hermaphrodite. Um, earthworms are hermaphrodite, leeches are hermaphrodite, but we chose snail as the symbol because it's cuter. <laughs> Over leeches and <laughs> earthworms. Although like, you know, if it's a, if it's like a intersex direct action group, like a leech could be a great symbol. <laughs> we won't let you go. <laughs> But that hasn't happened. It hasn't come to that, fortunately. <laughs> and I don't really like that. <laughs> um, there are other species that can reproduce as male and female. Snails can have both male and female organs. In, in the class, I talk about snail sexuality, which is really exciting that, you know, snails, those are snails, they have the sexual organs on the neck. So, and they have poking device and the receptive device, receiving device, and uh, you know, which one's male, which one's female, whatever. So, and they, when they meet each other, they will circle each other for like up to six hours to, to date and dance, whatever it is, you know, checking each other out. And then, so after like two and a half circle, six hours, they will come together and they'll rub their neck together like this. And then they go off to their own ways and they both get pregnant. So it's like a really cute story, of course, people want to ruin this cuteness by having the evolutionary psychology explanation for it, which is that, well, it's not actually, they're not, they're not having like a, this date or dancing or anything. It's that the four, you know, if anybody knows about the kind of evolutionary theory that, that's, that's like out there, that they talk about how um, for, 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 the, for each, for the, for a gene, it's, it's more advantageous if you could get all the other snails get pregnant with your DNA, but it, it, it's more, like it costs more of the body to get pregnant yourself, because either way you are passing on 50% of the gene, but if you impregnate other snails, then you're not, like, you don't have to carry that baby. So, so evolutionally speaking, the snails have evolved to like, to fight each other. This is a competition that constantly trying to poke the other one so and without getting poked. And so this is not a dance. <laughs> so this is not a dance, but it's like they're trying to you know see that if they can beat each other by just poking this one and just running getting away with it. Um, there's some question about that if that's the case why are they so simple? <laughs> but aside from that, I'm talking about that because I don't want you to confuse intersex with hermaphrodite. That's hermaphrodite. And that doesn't happen in humans. Have you seen that? No. Well, kind of seen men doing that, but... <laughs> but, um, so, so we're talking about intersex as, as human. And humans don't, don't have... The humans cannot um, become pregnant and impregnate others at the same time or both in any way. And sometimes and other, other species like snails can do that at the same time. Um, fish, many kinds of fish can do it sequentially. There are, there are sequential hermaphrodites. So that, for example, clownfish, the Nemo from the Finding Nemo is, can, like for example, if you had like a bunch of males in the same group of, of clownfish, some of them would turn female, whereas, 
when, when you have a bunch of females, you have only females, then some of them turn male so that they can reproduce and all that. So, you know, when the Nemo had all of his like friends, his family eaten, he only he and his father remained, remember that movie? So like one of them could have turned female. <laughs> and <laughs> so I'm expecting like the sequel to Finding Nemo, the Finding Nemo 2, the Nemo finds herself. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be fun. So I'm wasting all this time talking about the, the animal kingdom. <laughs> Plants also have the, you know, hermaphrodite. You know, the college students know the plant of marijuana has like male, female, and hermaphrodite. So hermaphrodite can both like um, uh, get the get the seeds and and uh, and receive seeds at the same time. So that it can happen in both ways. Um, so hermaphrodite being that can do both male and female function, but the intersex people are not. Intersex people usually can um, can produce sperm or can produce um, ova or neither, or can, so that they're never both at the same time. Um, another thing that, that this comes up in, a lot in, in terms of intersex is that, um, is that the people see intersex as an identity and where it has worked as an identity in the beginning when the movement was starting, that obviously somebody had to identify as an intersex to start a movement. So that was the beginning of it. But it turned out that many people who have the conditions saw it as a condition and not necessarily an identity. So that if you said that something like, um, you know, the LGBT and I community, there was no such thing because people really didn't see that as, an, as like who they are. But it's something of the, some people saw it as a medical condition, some people saw it as a, as a history, which is actually how the traditional medicine is seen, is that if you're born with a condition, and if we do um, cosmetic surgery to fix it, to look more normal, then it, you're cured, you're not intersex anymore. You're a formerly intersex patient. <laughs> and therefore, there was no intersex results. So that's a, um, and and so that that really comes up to the, like a more recent debate about the, the new term that's been introduced called disorder of sex development, which is an explicit way to make it a medical condition rather than an identity because intersex um, continues to get conflated with identity. I need to sit down because my body can't stand this. So I hope that people in the back can will be okay with it. Um, the most people who are born with intersex conditions generally identify with the gender they were assigned and raised as, and yet there are large enough number of people who are who feel uncomfortable with that gender that it becomes an issue that they assign gender at birth to and then surgically conform the child's body into that gender because. You know, as I said, somebody is born with a micropenis, and what, they, what society does is that they determine whether the child is functional as a male. And if the child is not functional as a male, then default is female. And this comes from the, the medical understanding from the 50s that, that you know, the, summarized by some doctor's famous word that it's, it's easier to dig a hole than build a pole, which is... Uh, what they talk about in the surgical technique that you can make any child into a female because it's easy just to dig a hole. And yet it's difficult to make a fully functional penis. And, and I talked about this in the class too, but um, what's a functional 
um, functional female genitalia, or whatever that can be penetrated, was pretty much the definition in the 50s. And we're talking about mostly male, mostly heterosexual doctors. And their idea of female sexuality was that it must be able to accept penetration. So at the time when the child is born with, a, with an enlarged clitoris, they're like, oh, just get rid of it. Why do we need it? It doesn't serve any function. So that they, they just chop it off. And so, whereas their definition for male genitalia, the standard is much, much higher. That it can, it, it's not enough that it can just penetrate, but you have to be able to pee standing, you have to be able to write your name in the snow. <laughs> which I'm finding people actually do. So <laughs> that's a scary thing. Yeah, I can't drink Mountain Dew after that. <laughs> Did I just ruin it for other people? <laughs> yeah, thanks. For uh, whatever. And so, 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 so that the, the, so because the, the doctor's idea of the, and sometimes it's it's spoken as if it's like a natural thing that the the female reconstruction surgery is easier than male reconstruction surgery, but you know it also reflects the kind of bias that's in the medicine that's you know that and that's based on the you know based on the society's view as well as the, the doctor's view who are mostly straight and and male. Uh, we're today like, we have like you know medicine even though there are more women doctors and etc but at the higher end of the university you know the medical academic research community that still like is dominated by the the same kind of people who were always there <coughs> so so they realized that okay we're sorry the clitoris actually had a function. So what we're doing is that instead of instead of chopping it off completely, we'll just preserve the tip of the clitoris and take the shaft out and take all those like uh, excess flesh out, but to keep the nerves connected to the tip. And therefore the sex sexual sensation is completely preserved. <coughs> now, any anybody who is hearing that, imagine doing that to a, a penis on the, on a the male. Is that really going to be sexually have no negative impact on somebody's body, it probably will have some kind of impact. Anytime you cut the flesh, it scars. That you know, there's always the risk. There's something, something might happen. So, so if it can be avoided, it's always like you know, you know, as far as the sensation goes, as far as the risk of infection, and other things go, it's always better to avoid surgery if you can avoid it. Now, for cosmetic reasons, for social reasons, when sometimes people might want to have the kind of surgeries, and it can be cosmetic surgery, or it can be the kind of surgery that transsexual people want as an adult, you know, as as a consenting adult, they they will consent to have the have the kind of surgery so that their body will look like more like a male or more like a female, and they do that as an adult. That's that's one thing because they are themselves evaluating um, the the kind of risks and benefits that. And, and choosing on their own. So, but traditionally the, <coughs> traditionally the medicine has acted as the enforcer of normalcy on the body. And this is not just about intersex, this is all throughout everything. And it's not, <coughs> it's, 
you know, similar to the ways that they would try to lengthen limbs, that they may focus on trying to have the the you know the limb that's longer as as more important longer in a in a normal length is more important than actual function but being able to walk and being able to do things and focus on that uh, there has lots of controversy around you know different um there's a book that alice Dreger wrote a couple of years ago called one of us which is about conjoint twins and separation surgeries which sometimes risk lives or sometimes they you know very well that the risk of like at least one person dying from the separation surgery is really high and yet still they go forward with it because the the normalcy is valued higher sometimes even than the life and uh, you know there there are many different ways and the more recent move that's very interesting is the use of a human growth hormone on children who are short now traditionally Human growth hormone have been prescribed for children who have medical conditions that resulted in the lack of human growth hormone in the body, or you know the, some kind of the shortness caused by medical condition. <coughs> and here we are talking about children who are simply short today, that and the and the doctors who who are funded by pharmaceuticals who went to the went to went to the FDA and had that use approved were the same people who were working on intersex medical treatment. And uh, it comes from a similar understanding that social normalcy, normalcy was so important that it overrides all the other kinds of concerns. And uh, you know, such as uh, human growth hormone is extremely expensive. It's, it's like you know, $1,500 a month. Uh, it's like a shot every day. <laughs> uh, there are things that, you know, lots of things happen like that. And uh, it's very interesting the way that that they that they have a standard for how short the child has to be before you can receive human growth hormone. Now, a boy and girl could be the same exact height, and the boy would be candidate for the, this kind of treatment, and yet girl is not, because the the standard for girls is is like lower in terms of height. That girls can be short and they can still socially be acceptable. And yet boys, that's too short, cannot be socially acceptable. Therefore, medicine has a separate standard for like this, this shortness that is medically unacceptable. This is actually the reverse of what was happening to the women before, that girls who have been too tall in the past have been put on some certain hormones to stop their growth. And that, that's been practiced for a long time until like, until like 70s sometime and then like I'm, I'm sure that, that continues somewhere but as a standard it, it, it stopped why did it stop because you know it didn't stop because the girls didn't girls stopped growing taller i mean you can see on the, on the basketball court <laughs> there are still tall girls but what changed obviously was that there was a women's movement that there was the different social attitude toward the women who are who appear different, so you know the there so that the there are many other ways the medicine regulates gender and gender sexual relations, and one some some something that my friend raised was really interesting point, which was that you know what about those um and I, those and um, preoccupation with like a Viagra and the erection as, a, as an issue, like without erection you can still have the sexual, you know, sexual pleasure and have a sexual relationship, and yet the, the, that seems to be um, 
considered to be the end of the sexual life or sexual inability to have a sexual relationship and an ability to pleasure provide pleasure to other to the partners that they have and uh, but it's not only you know it's not only the medicine not only intervening um, and providing something for the for the, for the person to have the sex they want but also to for the this kind of medicine is there to to like you know fix the kind of a gender relationship between gender sexual relationship between the you know the partners the sexual partners where the erection might play the important role so in, in that way like there are so many ways even the separation surgery that we can join twins early, that I said earlier and it has me argue that that why do we insist on separating somebody because they won't be able to have sex life without the surgery it's like it's one of the you know recurring medical argument for separation that if you have your brother or sister stuck next to you then you won't be able you won't be able to have a sex life which some people have managed actually <laughs> that you know they they were just like the other person would just be watching the tv or whatever <laughs> or that they have their partner there and have you know that's like a huge <laughs> sex thing for together, but but either way, the people have managed, and yet uh, there's a there's a, this medical concern that and that that's about sexual life, and that again, like sexual normalcy, that that the, you are supposed to be in this you know individual couple, like only two persons should be in the room together, <laughs> and and that you know the kind of the the sexual ideology that. Many of us might prefer, but that's not necessarily the rule, or that's not necessarily the only way that people could possibly have a sexual relationship. And yet that's um, being used as a medical argument for the kind of um, treatment. <coughs> Going back to intersex, so we're talking about kind of surgeries. We're talking about um, two main surgeries, which one of which was the clitoral reduction, now they call it, and clitoral reconstruction even sometimes they call it because they were they would take the, some size out, and and I always talk about like you know well, that's assuming that the the tip the tip is the only part that's sensitive, and the shaft or the side doesn't have sexual sensation, and when you think about that, this is like homologous to the the penis on the male, obviously the shaft has you know <laughs> has the sensation has a it's the it's the main way like you know that's the part the the that is you know, that is pressured when, when men masturbate, for example. That's, I mean, I <laughs> assume. <laughs> there are other ways, I guess. <laughs> so, 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 but, but they, so that's the, that's the one kind of, one kind of treatment. Another kind of a surgery that, that's been, that's been promoted, would be like to vaginoplasty, which is a surgery to create vagina. And that when you create vagina, that means like you create the opening on the body, and that, but the opening will just naturally close up because the human body naturally, um, you know, if you if you have a cut, that's going to naturally heal over time. And if you have the, you know, if you take off the earring and peer from your ear, and if you don't put anything in it, then the hole is going to naturally close up. So that human body is naturally heal. But so when you create opening on, on vagina, though not on vagina, but opening as a, as a surgical create vagina, that's going to close up unless and you 
do things to keep it from closing, which is like when adults, transsexual women have the surgery, what they do is that they will use object, so they would like basically use medically um, prescribed version of dildo in in the in the vagina and to and to you know pressure it so that it doesn't it so that the walls won't close off. And uh, they have to do it for like you know certain lengths of time every day for several months after surgery. And of course, in the beginning, it's really painful because the, it has just been cut, and it's like a you know flesh wound basically. So it's very painful. Now, when adult transsexual women do that, um, it's one thing because they are consenting to it. They evaluate the risks and you know all the things that they have to do before they actually have surgery that you know they know what what they're doing going into it and uh, so that, that's 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 fine but when they do this to children and you know we're talking about six months on when we do it to children that they won't do it to themselves and so the parents will have to do it it's usually the mother because you don't let the fathers do it so the mother will be forced to do this in, in the, and that she'll be convinced that without this kind of treatment that the child is going to grow up um, to be abnormal. That if you, don't, if you don't insert this every day for several months, then the, your child is going to you know, be abnormal and the, it will undo the, everything they've done for them by doing surgery because it's going to close up. And child, the, your child won't be able to have the, the sexual intercourse and therefore the child is going to be gay and may commit suicide. Because, <laughs> yes, <laughs> you're like, yes. <laughs> Follow the links. <laughs> and, and that's actually like, a, you know, parents actually, there are many parents who fear the child being gay so much that they actually even get, to, you know, talked into and doing that. And more recently, though, uh, we found that, you know, there's a huge, um, you know, huge uh, failure rate in this kind of surgery in the sense that, um, like like ten year after the surgery kind of review, they find that many of those girls who received the vaginoplasty as very young children ended up like not having the the kind of depth or width that's um, that's um, necessary if some if they were to have sex uh, sexual intercourse with somebody who has the average size penis. Now I don't know how they decided average penis size, but. Uh, and uh, they, when that number, when the failure rate came up, uh, doctors immediately blamed parents for it, that they must not have followed through their advice of of inserting objects into child's vagina every day for three months. And but the the I, I and and I could imagine that the parents having difficulty doing that every day, that because it's painful, the child is going to scream and just like you know will not want that to happen and trying to push it away and trying to close up, close the legs. So it makes sense that, the, you know, that so many parents cannot follow through. And then as a result, that there's a so much, and so much the failure rate. And now sometimes surgery is necessary. For example, if somebody is, um, is menstruating inside the body and there's no opening, then obviously the child is going to get very sick eventually. So that that needs the opening needs to be created. Whether or not it, ha it it may not have to be, you know, as deep or wide or anything, but the opening needs to be created for medical reason, and rather than the, for the cosmetic and normalizing social reason. But even in those cases, 
a six-month-old girl probably doesn't need it. The six-month-old, they're not menstruating in six months. So, so the intersex movement has, and, and the, uh, well, before that, and so those are some of the surgeries that we've, an uh, intersex movement has been challenging as, you know, it's not medically necessary. It's something that could wait. And that if somebody was like, you know, was older and was able to evaluate risks and benefits on their own and request a surgery, then it's one thing that, some, and sometimes they, sometimes people do. Sometimes people feel like they want to have, um, they want to have the body that looks more normal so that, you know, they, you know, often the women don't want to disclose to their partners, and that you know they want to have, be able to have an intercourse without and seeming, and men are not looking very closely anyway, so <laughs> they you generally don't have to tell, <laughs> even if they have surgery, and so so um so there are some people who do want that, but they don't need that when they were six year old, six months old. So we're talking about um, kind of delaying and pushing that aside until the person can, can actually, you know, agree to it. We don't say consent because consent is a legal term that's only for the, for the adults. And that we don't necessarily think that it has to be 18. It could be like some, somewhat lower than that, but um, that the child can participate fully and has a wish to respect it in that way. We're not... We're not, um, by the way, we're not saying that the child should be raised without assigning gender because what we do in society is that we assign gender to every child. We make the child as a boy or girl, whether or not the child has intersex condition or not. And we don't really know if that's the right gender or not. We just make a, this temporary assignment of gender so that we know what to call this child. We, don't, we know, like, you know which bathroom the child needs to use and things like that because we live in a kind of society that's a part of the way that it, it functions. So, so long as that's happening, we can do the same with intersex children, which is that we'll make the best educated guess about the child's gender identity that's most likely based on the kind of observation, and kind of a gender, kind of the bodies that the, the child is born with. And so we make a kind of assignment that's a social assignment. But it's not, it's not necessary to have this kind of a surgical assignment to put that into a physical body. And that when, the, when later on, if the child says, like, I don't want to be this gender, I don't want to be a boy, I don't want to be a girl, I want to be something else, then the, then the society will have to adjust to that and deal with it. And that should happen for any child. It's not just for intersex children. If the non-intersex child you know, who we thought was a boy and we were raising them as a boy, all of a sudden says, like, I want to be a girl, then, well, first of all, we need to make sure that's not like a temporary thing or that's not, like, they don't understand the consequence, things like that. But once we make it clear that this child actually identifies as, as, as a girl and that's how, how um, the child wants to live, then the society will have to adjust to that and the families have to adjust to that. So that's the same way that we things that can be addressed with intersex. So we're not saying the child should be raised without gender, which is like a great science fiction novel, but it, does, it would be very difficult in, in this society, as long as we live in this society. I don't know about alien civilizations. So, so anyway, I'm going back to the, so that, so that you know, without it, we could, without the kind, of, the kind of surgery that we're talking about, which also happens in many kind of, you know, children with different kinds of disabilities, where, the normalcy becomes the primary, primary importance over 
the health and function of the of the body and the the kind of social normalization it become becomes more important but it's not just a surgery it's it's more about you know the in, in the beginning the intersex movement has really focused on the surgery as a main issue because that seemed like a really violent thing happening in people's lives but there are more subtle things that were that um, we eventually recognize as more important the more um, more um, has like a greater in impact on people's lives now if it was just the surgery then you know, there won't be so much secrecy around that people be able to talk about it, that you will hear about it, that you will hear that, you know, your cousin so-and-so had death surgery, kind of like that. And yet we don't talk about it because the whole point of this was this kind of a concealment of the fact the child, that there was any differences, that there was any, this, any of this kind of condition. So that because the concealment is a goal, that it's enforced through kind of a secrecy and isolation, there is no support group offered, for example. If it's just a regular surgery, you know, the, the support group could be, could be created. That there could be more information in society. That it won't be something that has to be hidden from, from the child. And that happens even when the child is like, you know, all grown up. Even, even adults have difficulty finding their medical document, that there are pages missing or, you know, how many. It's, it's amazing to to think about like how many people have been told that there was a fire and their document got lost. <laughs> I don't know how frequent the hospital fires are, <laughs> but uh, they seem to be like the heavily targeted by the, you know, fire and all kinds of natural disasters compared to all the other other buildings. <laughs> and and so, in addition to that kind of secrecy and isolation. We often talk about the, the um, something that pe many people identify as the most damaging is that the practice of medical display, which is um, in the disability movement, there is a word for it, which is the public stripping. And that, that word came about in 1994, between 1990 and 1994, in the, some of the disability rights magazine had started to talk about it. And uh, once they published this story about a child with kind of, some kind of unusual and uh, you know, rare disability or deformity uh, would be stripped down like naked or only with underwear and things like that to a large group of doctors and medical students and nurses and social workers and just anybody who is curious enough to see it. And uh, they'll be asked to like, jump up and down and roll over and all that for the, you know, for, to satisfy the kind of curiosity of those people, as well as for to serve as an educational tool, and yet that is like a emotionally very difficult for many people. That you know, and especially in the case of intersex, it's it's not even underwear that you are showing your genital to a large number of audience. Like you, some people have the experience of being taken into medical classrooms so that they would be rolled they're they're on the bed and and showing their genital and uh, they'll be rolled into the classroom so that the students can come and look around and, and take a look at it and come close and they'll be gossiping with each other and that experience when <laughs> that experience really leaves the impression that there's something severely um, wrong and shameful about their body, that something severely shameful about their 
the you know their sexuality, their who they are, uh, sexually and physically, is you know there's something wrong with them that, and in in, in addition to the fact that the, it's just you know it's the practice itself is really shaming that people feel really ashamed of going through that, and yet that was happening frequently because children were taken to the hospital a lot because of the. Because when you have an intersex condition, the intersex genitalia usually is not an, an illness. The, you know, the genitalia is just a, just a symptom that, you know, that um, resulted from something else. But because it's caused by something else, if you have like, you know, some hormonal system that is, you know, that there's some problem with the hormonal system, then obviously that causes other things. And because of that, often these children need to be monitored through like, you know, and uh, checked in for tests regularly. And that results in the frequent encounter with the medical systems. And that means frequent opportunities to be used as a training, to, you know, as an educational tool, or that, you know, or the kind of um, the theater for the people to come in. Um, Eli Claire has a book called <laughs> Exile and Pride. That is a great book. It's beautiful, beautiful writing and great person. I love Eli. But he has like, um, he talks about the kind of, um, kind of a freak show, his, the history of freak show and how the people with disabilities were um, both exploited and uh, surviving in the freak show tradition. And yet the freak show has become something that is not acceptable in society, especially the freak show of where you, um, you know, <laughs> present the deformities, it has become um, something that people will not, you know, that's something that's not acceptable in much of the, much of the society. And yet we produce like similar kind of uh, freaky entertainment in the medical system. And then the, in this part, that it's a, it's an entertainment and exploitation, but there's no survival part of it that people, you know, at least in the past, and there are people who are surviving, and there are very small number of people who were actually like you know making lots of money in the system and all that. And that's not like across the board. Like it's not to say that all the people with disabilities were doing great in the freak show. Obviously, I mean again with the freak show, the people of color were also displayed. You know the people of color, you know there were you know in the European and American um, North um, freak shows that they they take people from, from Africa and then show them as like a non-human species, that this is a newly discovered species of something. So there are lots of things like that happening. So it's, it's not, and, and they're not treated as human at all. They're treated just as exhibit. And uh, that's the kind of, you know, King Kong movie, it really comes from that kind of, that's a representation of that. <laughs> but so, so that's not, it's not to say that that was great, but then what we reproduce that in 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 a medical setting today is even more disempowering than that, because and it takes away some of the you know the way that people have like you know people have exploited the 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 system that exploits them, and to turn it around and try to make trying to make a living and trying to use it as a tool of survival, and yet we don't have that kind of ways anymore, that we were simply having children being exposed for the entertainment of, of 
others as well as for education, but they're not being compensated for being educational tool again. So, so it's only exploitation there. So <laughs> I don't know what I don't know where I should go. So so I'm going back to the the, the discussion about the disorder of sex development, and there has been like a huge debate and. But within the medical community, it's, it's pretty much set that that's going to be the standard language. The intersex is no longer being used in the medical community or medical settings because the word intersex was quite misleading. That It gave people a sense that these are people who are between male and female, when oftentimes it's not the, their, their gender is not in question. A, a girl with a enlarged clitoris it's not between male and female. It's just a female that has like a large clitoris. <laughs> so, so because of that, you know, that was kind of misleading. That, that it gave the sense that people had the kind of it implied kind of gender and sexual status that is not necessarily how people wanted to view it. That most people view it as a condition. So the this sort of sex development is a kind of language that makes it more like a an other medical conditions. And other medical conditions also have horrible names like that, so it matches perfectly. And the fact that they call it, they call it DSC would mean that, you know, because doctors love acronym. And parents also um, seem to feel better about their child having an acronym condition. <laughs> <laughs> the acronym kind of, um, you know, and, and yet there are other people who feel that Oh, and, and another 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 argument that, that that there is for the people who using the the DSD language is that the that when people call it intersex, it was considered to be something that would be outside of the gender norms. That it's a violation of the, of the two gender system, and that's all great in the gender gender studies center, uh, women's studies and gender studies queer studies, but that's that really you know. And evokes kind of a panicked response, both from doctors and parents. The parents will feel, oh, this is completely outside of like, their worldview, so it has to be fixed immediately. Whereas if you present it as a kind of disability and deformity, then parents can understand this is a developmental, a physical developmental issue rather than this like, sexual freak. And therefore, they can actually like look at the different evidences and like, each for each treatment they can look at the pro and con for you know the they can actually look at the what does this um procedure accomplish and what's the what's the risks and etc so it's so the argument is that it's going to be make it more rational and more just more like other kind of medical treatment which is and uh, which inter whereas intersex has been like stuck in the, in the as an exception to the medical uh, standards, and of course the medical standard itself is not necessarily that great either. As I said, you know, intersex treatment is not alone, but all, all the other kind of uh, physical disabilities and differences were also um, medicalized and normalized in the ways that um, that is not helpful. That people. And again, like people had their, you know, the kind of insistence on the separation surgeries, on people who could die from the surgery, and things like that. So, so you know, there needs to be question, questions around that. 
On the other hand, the people who don't like this term really focus on the, the point about the language disorder because disorder suggests that there is some order out there. And the order should be the regular male and female will be the order, the norm against which this abnormal is defined. So that, um, and, and this, these people tend to be the people who feel comfortable with, and about the you know, identity aspects of it, because it, mostly because these are also the same people who are you know, queer or intersex or trans, um, uh, intersex people who are queer or trans. And that because they're already queer and trans and, and they, they have the history and the kind of activism and community that, and that honors the kind of identities around it that identifies as an intersex is not barrier like it is to other people. So that at best it becomes an issue of you know, competing ideas about what is more stigmatizing, what is, you know, what's more you know, what's more acceptable, what's, what sounds better to them. At worst, it's a, it's a discussion of if you are more homophobic or if you're more like anti-disability. <laughs> so that you're comparing your phobia, uh, <laughs> that you don't, that you, I feel okay about being queer, but I don't want to be disabled. Or I feel okay about being disabled, but I don't want to be a queer. There's like a paradoxical, function of the medicine, which is it's that the medicine is, can, can, can legitimize something and stigmatize at the same time. The, you know, the, we've critiqued pathologization, and as a disability theorist, I, I critique the pathologization of the human bodies and human differences. And yet, there is something comforting to the kind of medicalization, and, you know, that we feel like we are actually getting somewhere, and we, that, you know, and this this is not a new new issue. Like when, you know, when somebody who had um, who like when when we when we talk about the when the society accepts the major depression as uh, as a as a medical disorder, then. They they stopped saying like you know oh you just need to you know get up and do this or whatever <laughs> and that 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 there has been more you know there's more acceptance to toward people who people to take medication to so that they can feel better and that more support and more medical services for people to do that I think other than you know. And so 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 once once we create even even Viagra once you know. Once we once we we called it the erectile dysfunction, then the Bob Dole feels fine going on the on on you know to public and some politician presidential candidate can go off and and talk about their ED again acronym, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's it wouldn't a politician would never have admitted that until it became a medical category like that. So there are like this this like a paradoxical power. Of the of the medical categories, and that's really at the core of this um, this controversy. That 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 I feel that it's going to because the 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 language of this this sort of sex development it's pretty much set, and uh, that's not to say that it cannot be challenged, it cannot be changed in the future, but in, in the medical community, like once they they it took so much effort to come up with this term and and change it there. So to change after that would be much, much more difficult. So I, I expect that it's going to stick. 
and uh, in the meantime, if it's going to stick anyway, then rather than fighting something that's inevitable, I'm more interested in you know what we can do around that. And part of the, what I want, what I'm trying to do, is to bring in more criticism of the of the disability theory and disability activism into it, so that so that it doesn't become the wholesale acceptance to, of the entire medical paradigm that the view it as abnormal and something that's needs to be fixed, but to you know have the kind of like functionalist view of you know that we create those medical medical categories as a means to providing resources to people that we need to have those categories in place so that we can identify what people need that if somebody has like a an, an you know for example psychological problem that they can't really categorize then there's there cannot be any medical treatment we don't know what to do and yet once it gets diagnosed then it's possible to provide the kind of you know care that 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 the person needs so so the medical categories is not necessarily horrible, even though in this country it's horrible because it's opposite of what has happened. What should happen is that categories existing to be used to um, to identify needs and allocating resources to meet the needs. Whereas in this country, it's being used to stigmatize people, and there's no resources to allocate <laughs> to provide for those needs, and therefore, like there's like lots of controversy around it. But I think that you know, I think that we can bring in some of the disability theory criticism, and also the disability movement and disability theory politics needs the kind of gender and sexual analysis that the intersex movement has um, has had has built in the past and that that's something that's really lacking in the field of disability theory and disability movement is around the analysis of sexuality and gender that you know so that the, I'm actually you trying to use that as a way to bring in that in a different direction also and um, I guess I should stop because it's only 10 minutes for questions. Well, that's that's really yeah, interesting because 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 like you know there has been lots of um, you know disability in the disability theory and disability movement that there has been lots of um, like a deaf a deaf community and this and it's it's only only like really successful group that has developed the kind of an identity and the community around the kind of, you know, think is something that is traditionally considered disability. And I, and, I, and I think that some people want to, you know, bring the intersex into that area. Uh, I don't think it's happening, and it's not going to happen until the children are being, being treated, like, without the kind of surgeries to remove that condition. And until that, and, and that can stop whether we think of it as an identity or not. That it's simply bad medicine to perform those surgeries, so we can stop that. And and once once we stop that, and we are stopping that, like it's, things are changing, even though it's really slowly. And once it once it happens, then we have like all those children who are not only um, being raised with their bodies intact, but with the kind of information and support that people never had before. And those children are going to have an entirely different outlook um, 
on the on their physical differences. And I and I expect that that they will develop the kind of interest identity, you know, that's similar to the kind of deaf community and deaf identity, and you know, kind of ethnic identity of the deafness that you know, it might happen in the future, in the next 10, 20 years. Um, but right now, people don't have it because um, because intersex is just a site of kind of violation that, you know, that is, that is, cannot be the source of community at this point. Um, just sort of to follow up on that, do you want to make sure that it gets on the, um, to follow up on that, it seems like a lot of the success the deaf community has had in developing, as you put it, an ethnic identity is by explicitly rejecting uh, the disability community and disabled identity. You know, those people are disabled, they need the labels, but we're just a minority. Um, do you think that there's a way for the intersex community to <laughs> avoid that. <laughs> that and still have the same outcome? Oh, I, 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 I hope so. <laughs> I hope so, but but that's 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 a, that's a huge controversy. I don't think I can I can respond to that. You know, just under twenty five words, and I already just probably said more than that. But let's talk. <laughs> On the issue of medical records, uh, I know a lot of people, and myself. When you go and ask for medical records for things that happened to you as a child, the attitude is, well, that was a long time ago. Maybe the statute of limitations has expired. It's too expensive to put it on microfiche. We couldn't store it. So all these records are just gone now. Mm -hmm. And when you do it to a child, and you don't tell the child, <laughs> and then the records are gone, well, then you can't prove anything. So it's not just fires. It's the, I mean, I know doctors who literally go through their records every year and throw out everything as soon as the statute of limitations has expired. Mm -hmm. So you can't go back and say something. But like, I'm talking about the cases where like a page is missing and things like that, oh, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. um, I was wondering about um, points of uh, cohesion and tension um, between intersex activists and trans do you want to go there? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh -huh. um, what do you want me to say? Just, 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 <laughs> just where you see where you see differences existing in terms of strategies. Well, well, I think that the you know to the focus like public interest in intersex that came through the transgender issue and trans trans issue. And you know, even some of the some of the main major scholars who are involved in in talking about intersex, like Anne Sterling, got interested in intersex because she was you know studying some gender issues. You know, all the other people who are doing this, Susan Kessler, wrote a book called Lessons from Intersex. She was she was writing gender theory. Her first book is called Gender. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so, 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 because it comes from that, and also in a in a early, in a really early stage of like before the Intersex Society of North America was founded, some of the initial supporters were like Kate Bonstein, for example, like you know, um, uh, person who wrote the uh, whatever what it is, Gender Outlaw, and well, yeah, yeah. So, so there has been lots of like a support from the trans community that really put the you know put the interest in intersex, and 
and and I think that because of that, people still see intersex through trans lens, and uh, not necessarily trans people, but other people also. The the they approach intersex from trans aspect, so that what ends up happening is that they will overestimate the problem of the people being assigned wrong gender. That you know, yes, some intersex people are being raised with the gender that doesn't match, and for them that's a major issue because if you're born with a micro penis, then if you, it was chopped off, and they they made you a vagina, but you actually want to be a guy, <laughs> you know, obviously those people are really pissed at what happened, and yet that's not the that's that's not the majority concern of you know that's not the primary issue here, that's part of the issue, but the. The the real problem is that even if you get the gender right, that still doesn't make it okay to chop up people's bodies and and you know, and and that's often like often lost that people see intersex as this kind of, and and also because people come come to intersex from, from transgender, and interest in transgender whether they are trans or not, that. <clears throat> they will see intersex as extension of trans that they intersex is to you know to the body what the trans is to the their mind or something <laughs> that that because of that 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 they was they will constantly see intersex as as the, you know in in a, in a really gendered way rather than seeing as you know more and more in connection with the disability politics and kind of disability and you know theory in it and again and also, there are just people who just don't get it and <laughs> saying stupid things out there. And there is a move from some trans people who are trying to say that gender identity disorder is an intersex condition. And I don't care if it is or not, but if you think that putting making gender identity disorder an intersex condition is going to improve their medical care, it probably doesn't happen. And it's it's it just seems like all the gender identity disorder is like uh, your brain is intersex, but that seems that's 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 like saying like you have a headache in your head. <laughs> I mean, you have a headache in the stomach, or, you know, you have a stomachache in the head, because you know intersex is you know, but but it's it's plausible because the way that kind of the medical technology is developing, that they may actually you know cut open your head and. Uh, and check your gender identity at birth, and if you if you have a GID at birth, based on your brain waves or something, then they will do a brain surgery to fix it, and that the, the surgery will go horribly, and the child will suffer later, and then maybe that becomes an intersex issue. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I was just wondering. Um, because, and I think you've sort of answered it, which is why I kept my hand down, is just the notion that intersex has the, the resources of being a medical condition, a biomedical condition, recognized by a medical condition. So whereas gender dysphoria or gender identity disorder tends to have more a psychological quality to it. And I think, I don't know if that's what you're referring to in that sort of tension that occurs between those two communities and the activism that it, that's mean, there, in them. There, there's a sense that some people feel that it's better to be physically disabled than mentally disabled. And there's the hierarchy of the kind of disabilities. Like I, 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 you know, the the intersex is the mental, um, mental illness, and the transsexual is the. I mean, the intersex is the physical illness and uh, physical disability, and the 
and the transsexual is a mental dis disability and mental illness, and the and and the transgender, apart from the transsexual, would be like a learning disability and kind of thing that's not fully recognized at all. <laughs> so <laughs> that's the kind of um, I think that kind of a hierarchy that sometimes that uh, you know um, within disability community that there is so much hierarchy and. Uh, you know, and the position that the learning disability kind of plays is kind of really interesting in that relationship. But so I think that similar thing could happen in a in a in a way that you know <laughs> there's this interest in 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 trying to get into uh, transgender and uh, trying to get gender identity disorder uh, recognized as as an intersex condition. But now that intersex is gone from medical literature, it's a moot point. <laughs> ourselves from uh, the two-gender classic model and think of it more of a, as a spectrum to accommodate everybody and not really uh, make it identified with disabilities? Well, I have a question that the spectrum actually accommodate everybody, so... <laughs> I mean, it's spectrum still, like, privileged the polar ends of it, and it's... <laughs> Scatterplot? <laughs> it's It's... It's... Uh, I think that I think that it's it's always going to I mean we may see it as a spectrum and we 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 keep saying that about sexuality also and but it doesn't work that way and uh, so <laughs> I don't I don't I don't really think that that is actually the spectrum necessarily is not kind of idea I think that just generally loosening up everything is actually you know more practical in the sense that you know that um, we we're not looking at some ideal picture, but rather like you know we should remove any of the ways people feel inconvenienced or people feel uncomfortable, and uh, yeah. That room no. Strange the way that insurance company is set up, like insurance policies are set up, is that if somebody else wants to change your gender, it's covered. But if you want to change it, then it's not. <laughs> and that seems like a really horrible allocation of resources. <laughs> we could just like take the money out from I know things that people are not choosing, and then give it to all the people who are choosing. Then everybody happy. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. And <laughs> um, yeah. Foster care, the state has to pay for ch 
transgender children to receive hormones, and people are waiting to see if that will force insurance in the state of New York only to cover hormones for transgender children. It has some precedent in California with other disabilities. Do you have a, know what happens in parts of the world where we don't have a so-called wonderful medical system that can operate on children? How do how does the rest of the world deal with an intersex child? Well, there's like a charity that's gonna ship the children to the U.S. But it's it's actually really spreading all over the, all over the world, even in areas where it hasn't been. I think the most recently, and all the Middle Eastern countries, like all, all the oil producers, because of the high oil price, that they are they have massive construction everywhere and everything, and they're also updating their medical system so much that I hear like you know first surgery happened in this country in that country, and that it's 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 all over the place really. I mean. Traditionally speaking, like there are places that didn't happen, and uh, and in in those countries, just anything happens. I think, you know, even in the U.S., like before, this kind of surgery became commonplace that people are still living as regular men or, or women, and sometimes the doctors say, "Oh, you're actually a man," and they have to, you know, you have to be, get divorced because you're you're a man and married to a man, <laughs> and things like that. Even if you, somebody was born and lived all her life as, as a woman and things like that. But today it's all over the place, really. There there are countries where the surgery is not accepted, where it doesn't happen, but people, and in those places where um, it's not available, people just generally live and also die. There are conditions that can result in, you know, severe illness and death, if not treated, so. We can't say that we should just do away with all the Western medicine because some people die from that. Not from gentle, but from like other underlying problems.